Welcome to the. Is this the twentieth? This is the twentieth. Welcome to the twentieth episode of Dialogica. I'm Stephanie Dunkelisen. And I'm Sweden Lee. And I'm glad to be back. <laughs> Finally, after like. Finally. Before. I'm done with American democracy for a while. <laughs> and Sweden's been really itching to get back into it, and especially discuss. Well, this is a follow-up and an expansion of our previous episode where we talked about Chinese Indonesian identities. But in this case, we're gonna expand the idea more about what's going on in this country in terms of religious intolerance and the trend of politicizing Islam. We're gonna start from a little bit of a briefer on November fourth, the rally that happened against Aha, and then the more recent December second rally, which kind of sparked. A bunch of different events, both in Jakarta and in other cities across the country, that showed where religious intolerance is growing and the implications of that to our young democracy. So here's to it. So. In our last episode, Stephanie and Tika was talking about the November Fourth rally, which was a large Muslim anti-Ahok rally that occupied the National Monument area of Jakarta and basically brought traffic to a standstill. It was、uh, pretty much a lockdown in central parts of Jakarta, and if you were anywhere in Indonesia, I think you were definitely aware of the amount of people that's、mm-hmm. on the streets. It's by any standards of any protests around the world. This is a very very large protest, over several hundred thousand people. You know these this kind of protests are enough to, if they really want to, destabilize the country. I think if the police force and the military forces that were guarding the areas that was deployed actually engaged with like that many people, it would have been disastrous, right? So following this, President Jokowi had an announcement where he decided to. Say like he is not going to interfere in the case against Ahok, and that the prosecution will go on as planned. Now, a month after this incident, it was followed up by the act of second December. Again, a large group of people, several hundred thousands, to report say a million people showed up in order to guarantee that the police and the president took their protest seriously, and that they were not going to arrest until they see Ahok behind bars. And、uh, the difference is at this time there was no major violence.、Uh, everything was really peaceful. I mean, the protesters called themselves "Aksi Super Damai" or "Super Peaceful Act." However, much of this has been attributed to the fact that President Jokowi too stood on the stage in Monas, the national monument, saying that, "Look, yes, we are going to have these procedures as scheduled, and we ask people their patience in order to see that." The court proceedings will be done as it should. A sea of protesters gathered around the national monument to vent their anger at Jakarta's governor, known as Ahok. It's the biggest rally so far since the controversy involving the Christian governor began in September. That's when a video was circulated online, appearing to show Ahok criticizing his opponents, who argued the Quran prohibits Muslims from having a non-Muslim leader. Ahok is facing trial for blasphemy, which carries a maximum sentence of five years in prison. Police named him a suspect after a mass rally early in November. But for these protesters, this is not enough. In previous blasphemy cases, the suspects were always arrested. Why not this time? 
An unprecedented show of force by Islamists and other Muslim groups in Indonesia, while the government has been trying hard to defend the country as a multi-religious, pluralist nation, looking at this rally, this could be harder and harder to defend. <laughs> President Joko Widodo, who has said that political actors are behind the protest, made a surprise visit to the rally. Widodo is an ally of Ahok and urged for calm. And actually, this is an interesting conversation, right? Um, Joko we did attend the December 2nd rally. He did attend as a practicing Muslim, as a devout Muslim. He attended the Friday prayer, which was led by Habib Risik, who's the leader of FPA. So a lot of people have been back and forth whether or not his appearance, his presence, and his yeah. addressing the crowd in that way. Was that a concession to the crowd's uh, wishes or was it something that was pragmatically smart on his you know, what do you um, think? I personally think when I first heard about it, right, um, as I was following up with the events throughout mm-hmm. the day, yeah. when I saw that he was coming with Yusuf Gala and a couple of other uh, ministers, I thought this is a very yeah. smart move. This is exactly what I think the masses want. Uh, because yeah. p- part of what happened November 4th is that Jokowi didn't meet the masses. He was yeah. um, safely guarded somewhere and the masses kind of revolted and started to like target the palace and things like that so appearing in person was a great move he kind of made it into a social media event with his like umbrella and the photos that accompanied it like so i think it was a smart move to deal with that level of uh i don't want to say hysteria but there was certainly tension right to deal with that in a very clever political way but what do you think Whereas I feel like, you know, he's compromising with people who are threatening the democracy of this country and threatening the rule of law in this country and are vigilantes, Mm -hmm. right? Like, this is just giving them more grounds and legitimacy to continue what they do. I think at some point, he has to take a hard line and say that, you know, vigilante actions and the mobocracy isn't right. Like, this is what I really appreciate in terms of, you know, uh, Ridwan Kamil, who is the mayor of Bandung, who also faced intolerance in his city. And uh, in that case, what happened there was like an Islamic group went into uh, a church service in a public... In a public building and shut it down. <laughs> and, shut, and tried to shut it down. And in this case, he even, you know, stated that he wanted the government to reimburse the cost of the service that was, you know, canceled because of it. And he actually made clear statements that any kinds of these kinds of intolerance was not going to be accepted in Bandung and that this is against the foundation of our country. And and I really appreciate he, you know, stood his ground on the fact that our country is founded on religious freedom and any kinds of acts that promote intolerance shouldn't be tolerated. And I don't know, and I wish Jokowi and other political figures had a harder line against this. I think any time that FBI and other groups have been acting up, then they have a long history of this. The government has always been very silent about the violence perpetrated by them. And this allows them to makin rajalela or get you know more emboldened by the actions and by their ability to do so because there are no consequences for them. And if there is continually no consequences for them and what they think is legitimized by the president, then at what point mm-hmm. At what point? I guess, are, is he going to let this slide? I guess that's my problem. Because they're... Like, what would it take? Because they're so conciliatory, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the main problem here is I think 
there's this fear of you know decrying these kinds of movements because you know they're islamic and is based on religious grounds but at some point they need to realize that if they're not going to do anything about it soon it's just going to get worse and worse and i'm not sure that this appeasing i i just feel like this is appeasement you know appeasement is the move that great britain did towards hitler <laughs> you don't want him to pull a chamberlain <laughs> you don't want him to pull a chamberlain exactly sorry we're like history and, geeks <laughs> but yeah i mean at what point will it happen right is it are you going to wait until someone is dead or or i don't know like i feel like i i totally agree with you in that this is a slippery slope and it's a dangerous game that they're playing yeah. and a lot yeah. of a lot of political scientists um, have been saying that about Jokowi. But a part of me does have some sympathy because I think part of the controversy around Aho is also around leadership style, right? Like, he is yeah. not Javanese. He's from Bangka Blitung. And so he has a, a distinctly non-Javanese leadership style, which means that he's not the most polite person. <laughs> and he doesn't try to, like, save face of the of the people he's targeting or, like, the people he's opposing. Yeah. So, yeah. um well, as opposed to Jokowi, who was the mayor of Solo. I mean, he's Solo. from Solo, you know. He's, like, very well-mannered. He was very well-mannered, and I think part of his approach with dealing with masses and leadership in general is about where can we find some common ground? Where can we uh, mediate the situation rather than take a hard stance? And I think I have some sympathy for him because yeah, for sure. um, some of these people uh, might react uh, more badly to any kind of, like, hardline responses even if they're justified from the government even if they're justified they might not take well to it and they would prefer at least some give and take uh, but again it's a slippery slope yeah, i think i'm just worried i just want jokoi to at some point be clear on what his slippery slope is i think a lot of people have been really positive about what he's doing and i understand that as a president his priority is for the stability of the country mm-hmm. right now but I also do not think that what he's doing is giving him a show of strength. I think he's showing, if anything, how much he does not have things under his control right now. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to take as much advantage of this as they can. And I think maybe that's just the cards that he's been given and this is the way he has to play it. Yeah. So just so you know who Habib Rizik, or as I call, like to call him, Habib Rizik, um, is he's basically um, Arab-Indonesian who was born and raised in Indonesia but got his education in Saudi Arabia. He believes in wanting to implement Sharia Islam in all of Indonesia, so wanting Islamic law to be the law of Indonesia. And he's been for years and years and years and years involved in numerous acts of intimidation and violence towards minorities, especially Christian minorities in Indonesia from, I wouldn't go so far as to say like he's involved in the bombings in Indonesia, but he's definitely a thug using religion as his mainstay. Well, yeah, he has a range of involvement, right? He's been in prison several times under Megawati and President Yudoyono's times for inciting hatred. So he's not exactly a poster boy of Islamic moderate. There are a lot of really cool and moderate and intellectual 
ulamas in Indonesia, like Qureshi Shihab, and he's definitely not one of them. Yeah, I think, and the fact that he's leading a group that can rouse up a mob really quickly, right? That's that's the power of FBA right now. They literally, yeah, their mode of yeah. communication is, you know, barging into communities and spaces and demanding um, everyone to listen to yeah. their demands. Yeah, and often with police approval or like it's just so strange right like they're basically a vigilante organization trying to impose their morals on the rest of indonesia this act has been such a big step up to them organizationally because prior to this they usually you know like have 50 to 60 men going into wartaks or small restaurants during ramadan and then you know taking the food of the food sellers who are selling food during the fasting season and now they have like such this big platform and you kind of ask why or how they've managed to grow this much under such a short period of time and um it's interesting to see this development which is why i think a lot of political commentators do not think that this is purely his act or like the act of the few it's more that they're a big organization behind this with big sites beyond a hawk in the sense mm-hmm. and i also think um me coming back from being in america and seeing the results of how a populist mob can be led and in many ways misled by a charismatic figure like i see parallels with it with the way that trump and other kinds of extremist rightist leaders across the world have been able to mobilize the masses you know these are people who are charismatic they have the ability to find what scares people mm-hmm. and what intimidates them yeah. and use it to mobilize them in a way that's scary for any kind of democracy especially one as large as Indonesia's. i think the main thing here that you've been touching on is that you know it doesn't really matter what religion is being used i mean trump uses christianity habib Rizik uses islam mm-hmm. The common thread here is this idea of using populism and fear tactics, right? And in this case, I feel that what's interesting to see how they're playing the rhetorics of um, of this Ahok trial is they're always saying this is Aksi Bela Islam or defending Islam. So there's kind of, in their side of the story, the story that they're pitching to their followers is you know, Islam is under attack yeah. and um, you need to defend it. Otherwise, you too are kafir or, you know, uh, infidel. And that's exactly what Trump did as well. He's basically saying, like, you know, white Americans, white Christian Americans are under attack and you need to defend that from taking over, which is really strange to me as a double minority mm-hmm. <laughs> to see that people who are in the majority think that they're under attack and see that, you know, they need to defend their identity in a place where they are the majority. Yeah. And how, regardless of whether or not that makes statistical sense, uh, it's still very effective. And it's really like, it's more like, are you serious right now? Like, you know that you guys are in the majority, right? And like, but I don't know. I think it's always that if you have always had this privilege, any kind of equality will make you feel oppressed.
what I'm seeing is a trend of using the one thing that I think is very hard for people to talk back against in this country, which is religion. Nobody wants to talk back against religion. So they use that almost as a cover to really like attack people on racial grounds, yeah. on class grounds, on ethnic grounds, as well as on religious grounds. But it's, that's not the only thing. You know, it's, it's a cover so that all these other subliminal attacks can be implemented and we can push extreme views on those topics alongside extremist religious views as well. Because religion is this thing that we can't, we can't fight back against. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about how can we respond to growing intolerance. In my experience, right, um, and granted this is not about religion, but in my experience, you know, uh, when I was in the States, like, Part of the conversation after the victory of Trump is like, all right, there is a culture of intimidation and a culture of othering from the Trump campaign and from Trump supporters. How do we break that down? And for a lot of people, the first method you need to do is to reach out to your moderate Trump supporters whose ideals and values have been co-opted by the fringe movement. So I'm thinking, is that possible in the scenario in Indonesia right now? Because there's certainly a lot of moderate Muslims who may not realize that their religion has been co-opted by a fringe group. Can we talk to them and can we have a conversation so that they realize that, no, moderate Islam can exist, should exist, that's what Indonesia is about. I think moderate Islam does exist and is a big part of the conversation. I mean, NU has been traditionally a very moderate Muslim organization with who's called out against these kinds of actions however i don't know i think there has not been any charismatic figure who is in the moderate muslim front that is you know the that can be the standard bearer and the torch holder for this do you think part of it as well is that it's it's harder it's less sexy i guess or it's less it's less uh, sexy to be like moderate yeah. it's less car- I don't know. does it sound less charismatic is it much easier to uh, yell and shout and intimidate. Maybe it is. Maybe people are drawn to that kind of character and maybe that's where the flaw and how we engage in dialogue is happening. Like, how, why is... I don't know. Why do we follow instead of talk? But I I do agree with you. you know, organizations like Muhammadiyah and uh, NU, yeah. which are the two largest Muslim organizations in Indonesia. They have a lot of influence. They've been very good yeah. about yeah. hitting back and criticizing these fringe groups and saying, like, this is not what Islam is about. This is yeah. not what this country should be going down the path of. I think that there's a bandwagoning effect that's going on here. You know that this is growing, and now you know that there is a big silent majority that is now no longer silent and is willing to do what it takes to enforce their ideals in violent practice. I think beforehand, you used to see FAE and all of these different organizations as small thuggish bands of Mm -hmm. people trying to get to racketeer money, you know? And now you know that they're serious and they have the organizational ability to actually effectively problematize the diversity and safety of people here. This is why I'm so hard on Jokowi, is if we don't have big role models on the national stage, you know, decrying the fact that we need to stop the progression, this is just going to get worse and worse and worse. Uh, We'll see if his strategy of, I'm calling it appeasement, will be useful or 
will have to make him do the hard choices much later on with greater costs. The minute we start becoming something where only the one majority rules overall is, I think, as you say, the national concept of Indonesia disappears. It's gonna like, are we still the country that was founded under the um, the terms of Pancasila and the Constitution? I don't think so. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. Uh, we hope you kind of took away something from it. As always, um, music credits to Jazzart, Ryan Little, and Bro for Free. And if you haven't followed us on YouTube, um, our latest channel, uh, you should definitely follow yeah. us. We're also still going to be on SoundCloud, but we want to uh, highlight YouTube a bit more. And also, it's a lot easier, I guess, to listen on YouTube than, yeah. say, like open up SoundCloud or you know, go into iTunes and download the podcast. So we're trying to make it easier for you guys to, to, listen. Uh, to enjoy the episodes. Yeah. And once again, we always, always really want feedback. So email us at dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or send us a Facebook message or comment on YouTube. And as always, uh, we'll have resources and links at our website, dialogica.id. And thanks so much for listening. Bye.